0: Well, hey, good morning. How are we doing? Extra hour of sleep, no complaints, right? Well, hey, I'm excited to be here. My name's David. I'm on staff here. I get to, my role is teaching pastor, so I get to preach uh, every so often. It's good to be up here with you. And I want to give you an opportunity, open up your Bible or turn it on. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14 today. So go ahead and open it up. If you also don't have a Bible, I just think it's important to say this, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have like a paper, physical copy of a Bible, uh, we actually have a family here at Frontline that was just so generous, and they said, we want people to have access to that. And so at all three of our exits behind you, uh, we have a bookshelf full of Bibles. So help yourself, use one in the service, feel free to put it back if you want, or if you don't have one, take it home with you. But uh, before we jump into Luke 14, I want to tell you a story, uh, and it goes all the way back to when I was in first grade. Okay, so first grade, there was a girl named Emily Craft, and I don't remember my teacher. I don't remember any other students, but I do remember Emily Kraft. And the reason I remember Emily Kraft is she had a crush on me. Okay. And I knew that because she followed me everywhere. All right. It's the same in first grade as it is in high school. Right. You just, you don't know what to say. You don't say anything. You just follow them. So she was annoying me. It was, it was bothering me. And so I remember on the playground, I was underneath the slide and she was following me. And it was like, get away, find a life, go, something. And I remember I had this thought, like I could actually kill two birds with one stone right now. And so I turned to her and this was my effort to get her off my back, to leave me alone. I said, hey, Emily, uh, if you don't bring me $20 tomorrow, I'm going to beat you up. Made sense to me. I'm like, it was clear, it was direct. And so she looked at me and smiled and said, okay. I was like, that was the easiest confrontation I've ever done in my life. And so I went home and I'm like, I'm just thinking to myself, like, this is a great business model. Like this is, I did nothing, she's gonna show up it tomorrow, it will be perfect. So recess rolled around the next day, and my teacher came up, she said, Hey David, can you hang in here for just like one extra minute? I was like, sure, not on my radar at all. And then in walked my principal. His name was Mr. Coffee. And then walked in my dad, who was the pastor of the church across the street. (laughs) They said, "Come on, over, have a seat." I'm going, "Oh, what did I do?" You know. So I sit down, and and they turn to me and they ask me this question: "David, do you know what the word extortion means?" And I just start crying. I go, no. And they're like, well, here's the thing. Here's what extortion means. I'm going to define it for you. The practice of obtaining something, especially money, through force or threats. Do you know anybody that might have done that recently? I went, no. They said, that's weird because Emily's mom saw her putting a $20 bill in her backpack last night, and apparently you said something along the lines of you're going to beat her up if you don't get that. Does that ring any bells? And I just cried, yes, and I hate Emily Kraft. And my dad, who wasn't a particularly creative person, seemed to get in touch with his creative side most when it came to punishment. So I remember going home and he handed me two five-gallon buckets and said, you are gonna spend a couple hours walking around our yard finding pebbles in the grass until both of these are full. And I remember I did it for hours with tears streaming down my face saying over and over, I hate Emily Craft. You know, it's funny is there's a lot of parts, I think, of our childhood that many of us remember, but not a lot of them stick to a detailed end like that one did. And the reason why is I think it meant something. There was a deeper level of learning that took place. And here's what I've learned, at least just in my own life, in my own uh, walk with the Lord and whatnot. But as I think back, I think many of us are master manipulators, I think many of us are just attuned or in touch with ways of using other people or using things or using jobs or using whatever it is we're good at to achieve or to get something that we want. I want to define extortion a little bit different way. This is what another dictionary said, obtaining benefit through coercion. Getting something that I want through coercing or manipulating or tweaking or using, taking advantage of something in my life for my own benefit. I think we as people are masters of manipulation because we all want something. And the text that we're diving into today out of Luke 14, we've been in Luke 14 this entire series. We're in a series called The Table. We're tracking through five different zeros. These are our vision that we believe that we follow. We want to see zero lives unchanged by Jesus. You can check out all five zeros at the Next Steps area. But today we're talking about zero unfulfilled callings. And I think one of the reasons that large crowds followed Jesus is because he had something that they didn't. Jesus was so rare so special, so different, that he stuck out like no one else. And there were so many people of these crowds. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in this particular scene that followed Jesus, and you and I both know they all wanted something. They all desired something that they thought Jesus could provide. They all followed for different reasons. Some were sick and wanted healing. Some hated the religious leaders and liked what Jesus was saying to turn that upside down. Some didn't fit in, and so they found belonging with this group of misfits that followed Jesus as well. Some were lost. Some were bored. Some were envious. But I think all of them were using Jesus to get what they wanted. I just want to ask you a question, have you ever felt used by someone? What does that feel like? I think if we're honest, it feels dirty, feels manipulating, feels disingenuine, hurtful. I think some of us, it feels dirty, violated. How do you think Jesus felt knowing the hearts of people who just wanted something from him? How do you think that felt to be him? We're going to read this together. This is Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. It says this, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What a hook, right? Sign me up. I hate my family. I hate my job. I hate my life. I'm just looking, looking to give it all up. It's not exactly like a compelling speech or a compelling reason to come follow Jesus and isn't it interesting that what he says speaks to the opposite of what everyone's heart desired They're all looking for something from him and here's what he t- he doesn't tell them what he can offer he tells them whatever he's going to offer here's what it's going to cost It's going to cost them everything that's important to them That if you want to learn from Jesus, if you want to receive from Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus, it costs you everything that you care about. Let me paraphrase it this way. If you want what only I can give you, it will cost you everything you care about. How does that work? Because I think if Jesus said that to this community, many of us would leave maybe frustrated, maybe upset, maybe confused. Because so many of us are looking to add to our lives, not give up or trade in for something. Many of us have this particular spot that we say, Jesus, I want to invite you in and I'm willing to make you a deal. I'm willing to give you this in exchange for that. God, I want a job, so I'll give you church attendance. God, I want your power over sickness and disease, but I, I'll be a part of a small group. I, I don't know what it is for you. I think so many of us, we approach God with this, I give so that you can give me. And it becomes very transactional. And Jesus started by speaking straight to the heart. Can I ask us a question? If we were being honest, do we ever use Jesus as a means to our own end? Do we ever do that? this phrase that he uses when he talks about hate we can put that scripture back up when he talks about you know you must hate father and mother you must you must hate this is actually like an old jewish phrase when it talks about hate right here if anyone comes to me does not hate father and mother what the translation would be or what they would hear is not like you just have to totally reject and hate and 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 you know, harbor hatred towards people you love. That's not what Jesus was saying. That's not even consistent with the rest of his message. What this old Jewish kind of phrase spoke to, and what his audience would have understood, is that when you compare the two, there's always a preference to one over the other. What Jesus was saying is that which is most important to you. When juxtaposed with me, I should always come out on top that if you want to learn from me, if you want to follow me, if you want to receive what I have to give you, I have to be number one in your life. And everybody else has to take seat number two. But that's way harder to do. And yet, this is what Jesus is saying to the crowds, I need to be spot number one in your life. I think so many of us, we come to Jesus like this, God, I want purpose for my life. I want security for my salvation. I want power over sickness. I want power over disease. I want power over cancer. I want to know you, God. I want to know you. And here's what I'm willing to give you in order to receive that. This is where Jesus hits time out. He says, no. No. A relationship with me starts with a total abandonment to all that matters to us to make sure that Jesus is at the top. He goes on to continue to explain it, and it goes like this. Um, Luke 14, starting in verse 28, he says, this, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. So I want to show you a tower. This is like what a tower would look like. In Jesus' time, there would be towers like this. They would build it to fortify and to protect. And so Jesus is saying, how foolish would it be or how silly would it be if you say, hey, I want to do something. I want to give something. I want to build something like this tower to protect me. And so I'm going to spend a lot of money and a lot of resources, but I didn't calculate the cost ahead of time. Therefore, when I started building, I only built a foundation and then I ran out of stuff. I ran out of materials, I ran out of workers, I ran out of money, and so I built only part of this foundation. Here's why this is so important. God, I just spent everything and accomplished nothing. Jesus is saying, as you come to follow me, be careful you don't spend everything to accomplish nothing. just like it would be building a tower that you can't finish. Then he goes on, he he explains it a different way. Luke 14, verse 31, he says, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? Think about this. You have an army of 10,000 and you are about to oppose an army that is twice your size, that is twice as capable, that is twice as equipped, that is twice as experienced. Jesus is saying, if you're a king, won't you first count the cost, before approaching an enemy so large, so great that can destroy you? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. What's Jesus getting at here? Can I say this? I think the number one desire that we all have in this room, that we all share, is a desire for purpose in our lives. I think we have a desire to matter, a desire to to not be made by mistake, but to be made with purpose, for a reason, so that we can contribute something, so that our lives actually have value, because otherwise, what are they? There were two quotes I found just searching that, that I thought spoke to this really well. The first one goes like this It says, The mystery of human existence lies not in just staying alive but in finding something to live for. This is by a guy named Fyodor Dostoevsky. Look at that Russian name. This guy was a philosopher. And as he studied philosophy, here's what he finds out is that people long for purpose. People want to better. They want to make a difference. The people that were following Jesus longed for purpose. Because here's the opposite of purpose. This is by a historian named Thomas Carlyle. The person without a purpose is like a ship without a rudder. Can you imagine that for a second? Imagine being in the middle of the ocean. And you have to get out. You have to accomplish something. And you go to grab your steering wheel and you realize that your ship is without a rudder. That you have no ability to steer whatsoever. You still, however, can control the RPMs. Can you imagine this sight? Imagine seeing a boat just kind of going and being tossed back and forth by the waves that's going like 6,000 RPM. They're just flying, but they can't control where they're going. Do you know that that is how many of us live? It's really funny until it hits home, right? And you go, oh, man. How many of us, we seek and we long after purpose and we follow waves and we follow wind and we follow different teaching or different speakers or whatever it is that we can find that puts us in the right path towards purpose, And yet when we lack purpose, it's like we lack the rudder that can actually steer us towards where we will actually arrive with purpose. The reason Jesus talks about building a tower and taking on an army is this. Most of us in this room, just like most of the people in the crowd following Jesus, will never assume the role of king in our world. Think about that. Most of us will never have the title king in front of our names outside of our own home. Can we say that? I am king of my house. Most of us will never have that title. But here's the title that we do all have that we are king of our hearts. Can I ask this question? What kings are at war in your heart? As you seek purpose, as you long for purpose, for meaning, what kings wore in your heart. I think Jesus was a master communicator because he put people in the shoes of a ruler and said, as you see the enemy approaching you, let me paint the picture of your enemy. Maybe it's consumerism the need or desire for stuff, because stuff must be linked to our purpose or our value. Maybe it's for power. Maybe it's for money. Maybe it's for security. There are so many things that it seems like kings that we wore that Jesus says, fight that, that it is easier for us in his example to give in and to surrender and say, I will go along with what everyone else does. I will spend just like everybody else spends. I will retire just like everyone else retires. I will live and I will buy and I will relate just like everyone else does. Why? Because fighting them seems like fighting an enemy that is twice as big as me. And so it's easier to give in and retreat than it is to fight. Here's what Jesus is saying to the crowd of people that are there. He's saying, if you truly want purpose and meaning in your life, you cannot be the sole benefactor. You cannot be the ends to your own purpose. That to truly get in touch with why you were created and who God created you to be does not end in you receiving, but in you being a part of something. That's what Jesus communicates to his people. This series is called The Table. I told you this. And we're focused on zero unfulfilled callings because the heading above all of these zeros is so that the church, that our church, frontline in our community, will see zero lives unchanged by Jesus. And it starts right here. But for many of us, To get in touch with purpose and to get in touch with calling, the calling and purpose that God desires to give us requires us to give up in order to receive. Verse 33, it says this. It's so fascinating. Um, When it talks about give up everything. Nate, can we put that back up? Verse 33, it says this. If he is not able, he will send a delegation, blah, blah, blah. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything... This is originally written in Greek. If you read the Greek translation, it says this, to break free from. Doesn't that change the meaning of what Jesus is articulating to the crowds that followed him, to the crowds that desired purpose? Jesus isn't saying, I'm just coming to take everything that is important, but rather, I am coming so you might break free of the things that war for your heart. Because when we can truly let go of the things we think provide purpose apart from Jesus, it then makes room for Jesus to provide our purpose, for us to actually receive it. This is so important. Jesus isn't looking to take. He is looking to give. want to read this together. This is just a statement that I think hangs this whole sermon on. it. It goes like this. Purpose and calling are discovered when we are willing to be a means to Jesus' end, not our own. Do you know it is in the very character of God to not be the sole benefactor? I picture Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he was in the garden and he was praying to his father and his prayer went like this, God, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus proceeded to give up everything for God's purposes. That he gave up his life, that he gave up his position, that he gave up his reputation that he gave up his power. Jesus gave up everything for our benefit and then modeled to us what it looks like to live a life of purpose, one that is devoted to the Father's will who says, I don't want to take from you. I want to give you purpose as a part of my kingdom because when you're not the benefactor is when you actually discover my purpose for your life. We want to show you a quick video. This video is about a girl named Mal Walker who's down at one of our other churches as part of the Zero Collective, this group of churches that's just on mission together. And Mal shares this story about how her desire in life, her focus, her purpose was on her And after being confronted over and over and over by God just saying, I have something more for you. I have something more for you. I have something more for you. But your desires are getting in the way of my desire for you. And it is only through my desire that you will experience purpose. So as you watch this video, what I want you to pay attention to is what it costs her to seek out this purpose. Check this out.
1: My name is Mallory Walker, and I started attending the Center Church in July of 2018. And the reason why I decided to stay at the Center after church hopping for quite some time is because I liked the effort that went into church every Sunday. It needed every person who was in the building to be there in order for church to happen. So the zeros really hit me at about Christmas this past year when I started being the one to set up the zero signs. And so I started to look at them a little more after I was the one to put them up. And each of them go through and ask myself which of those I was applying to my life and which areas were lacking. And two places I was really convicted were Zero Lost People and Zero Needs Among Us. And I found that I wasn't doing much to make those true of west michigan and in my life of the people i was coming in contact with and i started to question how i could make those true in my life so post christmas season when i really started to be convicted by those signs and start to ask myself what does this mean for me what is this what is the next step that i need to do with this i didn't necessarily start applying it immediately but the lord started kind of pressing on my heart the nations. that was a passion already been stirred in my life in previous years, but it started to be something that I felt a conviction to do something with. And in May of this past year, I applied to go on a six-month mission trip to Africa. So after I was offered my position, I was given two weeks to make a decision. And I took most of the two weeks because I was really afraid to commit. And I kept asking God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And what I found through that season was that sometimes God speaks in very small ways in a kind of way to say I trust you, I give you freedom to do this in the way that you're called in the way that you experience my calling on your life I want you to feel free and as long as you're taking every step to glorify me, I'll, I will bless you in each of your steps and take care of you I took a leap and said I have prayed about this diligently for five to six weeks and I have not heard any kind of no so I'm going to just take a leap of faith and trust that my conviction and my calling is what is, is what God is asking of me. And so I will leave in January, and I will be gone for six months. And I would say that even those signs, those zero lost people, the zero needs among us, those have even been more applied since I've said the initial yes. Because now it's been a question of, if I'm taking that to the nations, what am I doing about that here in West Michigan? What am I doing about that? I go to school with the people I work with and how am I saying yes in smaller ways every single day before I leave what I found in my life is I just want to live a life of significance instead of safety I think God blesses so much his people when they just say yes when they're willing to step out in faith and step out of their comfort zone
0: My favorite line that she says right at the end is I want to live a life of significance, not of safety. I think God's invited us to be a part of the most purposeful life that we could ever imagine. As I think about Jesus and as I think about his disciples, Jesus said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. We track this with Jesus all the way up to the night that he was actually betrayed. That he gathered his disciples, all 12 of them, at a table just like this. And he speaks to them some of the most important life-changing words that they had ever heard and that will ever be heard for the rest of history. He turned to them and he grabbed a piece of bread and he broke it in front of them. And he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Take this and eat this. And when you do it, remember me. Then in the same way, he picked up some wine and he poured it in front of them. He says this is my blood. My covenant that's been poured out for you. Take and drink this, and when you do it, remember me. Then he said these words. He said to them, "The kings of the gentiles lorded over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves, catch this word, benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? You are those who have stood by me in my trials. This is so important. And I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom." We want to invite you to be a part of the table of the Lord. You know, If you've been here for communion in the past, we've had multiple stations set up, and today we chose to do this very intentionally. We want one table because we all, as followers of Jesus, come to one table that has been set for us by our Father. And it is at the table of Jesus that we receive calling, that we receive purpose, that we receive forgiveness and grace and mercy and love it is at the table of the lord that we have all been invited to partake in so how this is going to work we know it's going to take a little bit longer but we're just going to move kind of in this direction the exit is going to be towards the stage you can stand up you can move whatever direction that you want as long as it's this way and come on up and take some bread which are crackers take some wine which is grape juice go ahead and either sit down at your seat, come up and spend some time in prayer, just kneeling up here on the stage. Do whatever you have to do. But here's my challenge to you, is so often we come before the Lord to receive. And my challenge for you today is as you come up and are ready to take the elements, that you would come up with a posture of giving and say, God, here's what I want to offer you. Whatever it is that's held a grip on my heart, I want to give that to you to make room so that I can receive what you have for me. So friends, the table of the Lord is ready. I want to invite you to come right now and we'll take this together.